Before we get going with episode 106, a word from our friends at Santa Anita Park and Golden Gate Fields. The $1 Golden Hour Pick 4 uses the last two races at both Santa Anita Park and Golden Gate Fields. The $5 Golden Hour Double uses the last race at Santa Anita as well as the last at Golden Gate. Both of them offer player-friendly low 15% takeouts and are available to play on all major ADWs like First Bet and Express Bet. Golden Hour wagers will be offered each race day. When both Santa Anita and Golden Gate are racing, you need to be checking out the Golden Hour wagers that are available out on the West Coast, Santa Anita, Golden Gate Fields. And again, PTF talks about it all the time, but it's true. The horse players, back up a wager like this with your dollar. Player-friendly takeout. It's low. couple of good little pieces that you throw together. Southern California, Northern California. The only way these things continue to grow and tracks and other people are incentivized to continue to offer these is if we bet into these pools. So support the Golden Hour wagers offered from Santa Anita Park and Golden Gate Fields. Now on to episode 106 of the pod. What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Tuesday, March the 8th, 2022. It's episode 106 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. You can find it many different ways. If you listen just to the audio, you've got Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. If you watch over on YouTube, search bar Matt Bernier Show. You will get this episode along with the 105 prior a little bit late this week, had to do a, a little bit of a show for NBC yesterday leading into the Bulls and Sixers game. Had a good time doing that, but there was enough prep work that needed to go into that that this show just, unfortunately, a little bit of a delay, but in hindsight, it's a good thing because I, I, I really needed more time to go through and digest specifically one of these prep races, and that's what this week's show is going to be all about. The three derby prep races that happened this past weekend, the one from Gulfstream, the one from Santa Anita, and although it's a one-turn mile, the one from New York, because it's an interesting horse. We'll get to that a little bit later on, and we'll wrap up this week a little bit different. During the football season, I would talk about some football games. Uh, We're getting closer and closer to the actual NCAA tournament kicking off. We're in the midst of conference championship week. I'm not going to get into that. I'm actually going to get into a little bit of golf, and I'll keep it brief. And those of you that don't care about it, that's fine. You can just wrap this thing up at the very end when we talk about the final prep race. But it's Players Week, which is one of the biggest tournaments of the entire year as far as the PGA Tour is concerned. Um, debatably the fifth major, the the sort of unaccounted for major, if you will. But I think you've got a real interesting opportunity to take some shots on some big prices. And, I mean, calling a spade a spade, if you look at that weather forecast for this week, it looks like it could be chaos. We saw what happened last weekend down at Bay Hill, you're going to be dealing with apples and oranges, though. Yes, the wind was blowing sideways, and it looks like it's going to do that again down at Sawgrass. But Sawgrass is going to be very, very wet with all the rain that's supposed to come through, thunderstorm showers, and it's already a little bit on on the softer side to begin with. Bay Hill was baked out last week. So I, I don't know that you can pull too much from that as far as signal for this week's tournament. But again, we'll get into that later on at the very end of the show. Those of you that want to stick around, please do so. If not, not the end of the world. Wrap it up after the horse racing talk is concerned. But let's start with this race. The one that's the most polarizing, in my opinion, that is the Fountain of Youth. Simplification wins, earns a 96 buyer speed figure, 
We know there was a spill at the top of the lane or turning for home anyway. There's a lot to unpack here, and I need assistance from all of you, the listeners and the viewers, because if I'm being honest, I don't know what to do with this race. Simplification wins. The 96 buyer makes him one of the better three-year-olds, makes him a legitimate contender for a race like the Kentucky Derby. Timeform US disagrees as far as the fig is concerned. Simplification earns a 107. That is considerably slower, roughly 10 points if we're looking at it from a buyer's standpoint. The interesting thing is both speed figures have been running parallel, where buyers have typically been faster from start to finish for this horse, and the Timeform US figs have been slower for this horse from start to finish, which creates a really interesting sort of dichotomy because to me, when you look at different speed figures, the idea is to find one or two that stick out and you say, okay, well, which one do I believe? Was this race actually fast or slow? But when you've got two of the more prominent figure makers in the United States, and I know there are other big ones, Thoroughgraph, the Rags, you know, Brisnet, all those different ones. And I haven't seen, to be fair, what some of those numbers look like. But these two specifically, they've both been in agreement as far as the trajectory of the races are concerned, the difference is one has the races much faster than the other. And it's not slightly different. Because if you look at it and, and believe the buyers, and that's what you're going to put your stock into, totally fair, totally reasonable. They're great speed figures. I believe that despite what a bunch of people... People like the rag on, on figs just in general. Don't worry about them. They're dummies. Most of the figs that you can get out there are very good. I think the buyers are still sort of the gold standard. I'm a big fan of Timeform US. I prefer Timeform US just because I think I sort of see things more in, in that frame. But point being, I think they're 1A, 1B. If you believe that Simplification has run the figs that he has, a 96 on top of a 91 on top of a 90, then in his second lifetime start he earned a 92, totally fair and reasonable. When you take a look and see, a lot of the figs seem to line up. In due time, the runner-up earned a 90 in this race. He earned a 92 in his last race. Emmanuel, the fourth-place finisher, earned an 87 in this race with a miserably wide trip. He earned an 89 in that start prior. Dean delivers 86 after an 89 and an 85. Everything seems to look good. Rattle and roll, an 83 after an 81. This is his first start as a three-year-old. Everything seems to jive. But the same can be said about the Timeform US figs, where everything seems to jive, but on a much slower scale. Simplification, a 107 pace adjusted compared to a 101 last out. In due time, a 103 compared to a 106. Uh, o Captain, who was a million to one, he actually moved up from a, an 85 to a 100. Emmanuel improved slightly to a 102 from a 98. They're, they're in lockstep. It's just they're on opposite ends. But if you believe the Timeform figs, none of these horses are good enough. And that's where I'm having such a difficult time. We can talk about the incident at the top of the lane. It's important. Sure. Should there have been a disqualification? Will there be a review for the stewards? All that stuff. I'm honestly, I'm just sick of talking about that stuff. I really am. I have no patience for it anymore. There's a lot of things I don't have patience for anymore in horse racing. That's one of them. From an analysis standpoint, though, I'm fascinated by this race. This might be the most polarizing race for me specifically, and perhaps there are other people out there, please share your opinions of the race because I, I just need to get a, a gauge of where people land on the Fountain of Youth and specifically, I guess, the Florida horses.
Because if you believe in the buyers, there are many intriguing candidates coming out of this race. Not just the winner simplification, uh, but Emmanuel, who again, uh, you know, I was very dubious going in. I thought he was a bad bet given the price. And to be fair, the way he ran was such a wide trip throughout, an early move going into the far turn. I thought he actually acquitted himself very well. I think he's a very promising horse. I believe much more in him now with this race finishing fourth than I did with either of the first two starts. Rattle and roll, I loved him coming into this race. And going into the far turn, he moves up, moving very well down on the inside, and then he just kind of stopped. And I don't know if it was him needing a race or what, but you don't typically see a horse just cruise right up into a spot like that and then just shut it off. Very peculiar. I don't know what to do with that either. But if you believe the time form U.S. figs, regardless of the trips in this race, none of these horses are particularly fast. And don't look now, but we've got about eight weeks until the first Saturday in May. You assume some of these horses will come back in the Florida Derby. Maybe they'll go somewhere else. Kenny McPeak's already brought up the fact that Rattle and Roll could go to Kentucky. He could go, he could run in the Florida Derby. They could run in a million different places. Emmanuel, I would, I would think you probably keep him here for the Florida Derby, but I haven't read anything. In due time, the runner-up, who I haven't even given a shout to yet. He was involved in that little incident at the top of the lane. Thought he ran very, very well, all things considered. But if you believe the time form ratings, none of these horses are fast. And you've only got, at most, one more prep. Some of them may not even run again until the first Saturday in May. So you need to decide what you think of the group as a whole. The piece I haven't brought up yet that is another reason I am leaning more toward the time form U.S. figs. Simplification doesn't do things the way that I want to see a, a true contender for a race like the Kentucky Derby do things. He just doesn't. And it doesn't mean that he's not a good horse or a talented horse. But he's keen early. He's in and amongst horses. And yeah, he kicked away from this field. He never changed leads again. At that point, you need to ask yourself, if you're someone who cares about that stuff, if you don't care about lead changes or professionalism, then this part is not for you. And that's fine. That's the beauty of handicapping. We all do it differently. But if you're someone like me, who cares about professionalism and how these horses go about doing their business, for him to do all of those things, in my opinion, less than stellar, a little keen early, again, between horses, pulling a bit, finally relaxed a little, never changed leads down the lane. For him to blow the doors off this field with all of those things, I'm either not giving him enough credit or he beat a bad bunch, a slow bunch. And with that logic, Timeform US would sort of back that up saying he beat a slow bunch of horses. It's a really intriguing puzzle. Because simplification's got his points to get in. In due time, probably he's going to be close. May need a, a few more, but he's pretty darn close to getting in. Emmanuel, I, he's the one I want to give. I want to give Emmanuel and rattle and roll. It's, if I'm just calling it like you know, like I feel about it. They're the only two that I really want in the race. I thought in due time, in the grand scheme of things, yes, he was between horses, but I thought it worked out quite well for him. Paco bowled his way out of there. The horse eventually ended up 
running quite well down the lane. Um, I, I thought it was a pretty good trip for him. I still believe in rattle and roll, and Emmanuel made me a believer with this effort. Now, again, this is with the caveat that they need to improve significantly to truly be threats the first Saturday in May. Maybe they're all capable of it. Maybe the buyers are the numbers that you should be basing everything off of. Because if you believe in those numbers, certainly simplification's fast enough, and you have every reason to think a horse like Emmanuel, who, given the trip, is going to improve at his next start with any kind of racing luck, he could easily get into a mid to high 90 range. If you're somebody like me who still believes in rattle and roll, if this was just sort of a, a means to an end, he needed to shake the rust off and he'll move forward, fine. He could certainly get up into the low mid-90 range in his next start. But you have to put your faith in certain figs based on that. When I watch the tape and I look at the Timeform US figs, I go, I, th- I think it just might be a bad race which is sort of in line with what we talked about with the Holy Bowl and what we've talked about with the Florida path in general. It feels like they're a little subpar. That's just my opinion. I think they're behind Louisiana. I think they're behind some of the top horses in Southern California. They might even be behind some of the horses in New York. Yep. They're ahead of the Oakland horses, but that ain't saying much. I need some help. In my opinion, this was not a great race. That's kind of the conclusion I'm drawing. But I'm open. I I can be convinced. Lay out reasons for me. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, why I'm right, wrong. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. As again, most things are. The, the, The extremes, very rarely is that the truth. The truth is typically somewhere in the middle. I just, I have such a difficult time looking at simplification, do these things that I don't think are going to translate against better horses and draw away from this field and come away thinking this is a key race. I just have a hard time convincing myself of that. I've been wrong a lot. I will be wrong a lot more going forward. Typically, though, I've had I've had some decent success looking at these types going, mm-mm, Don't get fooled. Maybe I'm getting fooled. Let me know. Again, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. As far as I'm concerned from a derby prep standpoint, what's the rating for it? I'm going to give it a five with the right to change it with a little bit more time. In in my gut, I want to give Emmanuel another look. I want to give Rattle and Roll another look. The rest of the lot, I just, I'm not convinced. Maybe somebody can convince me otherwise or sort of solidify my opinion. Let's shift our attention out west. I know we're doing it in a little bit of an odd configuration, but let's go out west. Let's go to Santa Anita and let's talk about, I would say visually, the most impressive performance of the weekend as far as the three-year-olds are concerned from Forbidden Kingdom. Before we dive into the San Felipe Award from our friends at Sam Houston Park, make plans to head on down to Houston for an NHC qualifier on March 26th at Sam Houston Race Park. $1,000 entry fee is all bankroll and you keep what you have left. Tour points will be available and the top two finishers will win all expenses paid trips to the NHC in February of 2023. More details available at shrp.com. 
Racepark.com. Our friends at Sam Houston Race Park, be sure to check them out. Santa Anita Park, this past Saturday, the San Felipe, among many other stakes races. And for that matter, anybody that's got questions about the races, I won't touch on here, whether it be the Big Cap or any of the turf racing that we saw uh, at Santa Anita, at Gul- uh, Gulfstream, anywhere, really. Uh, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. San Felipe is the one race from the Derby Prep standpoint this past weekend that I have zero doubt will have an effect on the first Saturday in May. Because Forbidden Kingdom was spectacular. He goes right to the front. He sets fast fractions. Even for Santa Anita, which again, I know it's changed over the past few years. Everybody talks about it being a deeper surface. It still yields fast times. Let's not all of a sudden make it out that they're going 49 to the half. It's not aqueduct. It's a, He went extremely fast. I thought anyway. Now you take a look at some of the pace figs. They're not off the charts fast, but they are fast. They are fast. He earns a 98 buyer speed figure, winning this race in gate-to-wire fashion. He gives the rest of the field zero chance whatsoever. The nearest runner, Doppelganger, is almost six lengths behind him, and that's with Forbidden Kingdom basically being wrapped up. By the way, six lengths. I don't know that I totally believe that final margin of victory. Neither here nor there. Fantastic performance from this horse, trained by Richard Mandela. As many people have pointed out, it's always a positive when Richard Mandela is involved in the Kentucky Derby path anyway, the, the trail to the Triple Crown. I had major reservations about this horse going into the race because I didn't know if he could relax on the front end. I don't know if he can pass horses. The good news is, on both of those accounts, A, he might not need to pass horses, and B, although he went really fast, he wasn't crazy. He wasn't a runoff. He was just fast. For him to be throwing his ears up the way that he was, rounding the far turn and down the lane, I I think it may just be a horse that's on the improve. This is also his first time going out to a rod of ground. And he passed that test with flying colors. Now, I said it in the live stream that PTF and I were doing for first Saturday. What happens... Mile and a sixteenth is one thing. Mile and a quarter... With other quality, which is a big piece that we'll touch on momentarily, is is a totally different animal. But what this horse has done, specifically in this most recent start, the San Vicente, I'm still not thrilled with. But to be fair, Pinehurst came back and flattered the form over in Saudi Arabia. And now Forbidden Kingdom runs like this. I mean, it's it's hard not to look at this horse and think he's going to be a factor in the Kentucky Derby. Does it mean he's going to win? No. Could he? Of course. He's one of the fastest three-year-olds that we've got right now. It's also worth noting for some folks that really love him, Messier humbled this horse. That was in the Bob Hope last November at Del Mar. What to do with him going forward? I, I have no issue with this horse now. Other than the fact that I'm still a little bit curious what happens if somebody outfoots him. But if we're being honest, it doesn't seem very likely with how fast he is, naturally. But if someone, for whatever reason, is in front of him, will he pass them? We won't find that out at least until the next start. And even then, still may not. What happens when better horses are in the race? Because I don't believe there was much running behind him in this spot. I don't think much of Doppelganger. It's probably still early, but I I think he's fine. 
Um, the rest of the runners aren't, aren't all that fast. So he blew the doors off what I think may be a suspect field. But that doesn't change the fact that he was awesome. And he has to be on the short list of contenders for the first Saturday in May right now. He has to be. Arguably the best horse that's also the fastest horse. Uh, what else? How, how could he not be considered a, a player? And comparing to the Gulfstream race in which a 96 buyer was earned from simplification, Forbidden Kingdom earns a 98 buyer here. The difference is simplification's time form US rating, if you're just comparing the two of them, was considerably slower than sort of the equivalent buyer. So the 96, he ended up being in that sort of 107 range. Forbidden Kingdom is actually the opposite, where he earned a 98 buyer and the pace adjusted number for time form US is a 121, which would be roughly a 101 or a, basically a triple digit buyer. So I think there's a, a massive chasm between the two, even if you do believe in the buyer for the Florida groups. Just simply because of, and visually, when you look at the two, when you watch Simplification Run versus Forbidden Kingdom, if you're not someone who watches a lot of tape or you don't put a lot of stock into that, I would just ask to watch the two horses run and, and note the differences. This horse, and, you know, reiterating the fact that I was dubious of him going into it. I wanted to see, all right, you, fine, you're really, really fast. Can you, can you stretch it out? Can you relax a little bit? He ran really fast, but he did it within himself. Not, you know, guns blazing, trying to get out there and go as fast as possible. He listened to Hernandez, put him right on the front. Said, come and catch me. And when you go that fast, nobody will. But when you just look at the way the two horses run, there's a major difference, in my opinion, just watching them. Professionalism. This horse basically has done everything right. Can he pass a horse if he has to? I don't know. We may not find out, though, because he is that fast. I thought this was a spectacular performance. Now, I may not like anybody else in this field, but from a prep rating standpoint, I have to call it a 10. Because this, this horse, assuming he gets there, he will be a factor in the Kentucky Derby if he runs in it. There's no, there's no arguing that. Because even if you don't think he can win, He's going to be among the pace setters, and he's probably going to ensure that the pace is fast. Because I don't know that he has necessarily the, I don't know that he has the gear nor the willingness. I shouldn't say willingness. That makes it sound like he is a runoff. Basically, I don't think you want to try to take a horse like this and get a 48 out of him. I think you want to say, we're opening up. That's our best asset is speed. The last thing you want to do is, is try to wrangle him back, wrangle him back, get him to conserve something, going 48, and then all of a sudden you've brought everybody else into the race. Try to break this thing open early. So whether you think he's a real contender to win the race or not is kind of inconsequential. He is going to be a major player in the Kentucky Derby, assuming he gets into the starting gate, and that really just boils down to health at this point. But from, a, from the implications, there's no other way to look at it other than this is a 10 this prep is a 10 because of this one horse because he will have a say in the outcome the first saturday in may he just will 
Maybe he won't win, but he can certainly cook up anybody else that's out on the pace early on, and he can set it up for a horse coming from off of it. Perhaps it's a slower horse, but the things are just going to unfold perfectly for them, and they can make a run. Forbidden Kingdom is going to be a key to the Kentucky Derby. That is really undeniable, I think. And if you're going against it, I would love to know what the rationale is. When I say against it, when you're going against the idea of a horse like this, of him being a player as far as the dynamics of the race are concerned. You, I'm not asking you if, if you like him or not to win. But if you don't think he is a major key to the race, I'd love to know the rationale because I just I can't see it. He's going to be a major, major factor in the Kentucky Derby should he get there. Forbidden Kingdom earns a 98 buyer in a 121 timeform U.S. rating. He wins the San Felipe in spectacular fashion. He's going to be on the short list of contenders. We'll find out if he can stretch it out to a mile and a quarter, if he can deal with some other heat. But then again, boy, he's got, a, he's got quite the fastball on him already. Let's shift to New York. Much different race. One-turn mile. Typically, I really wouldn't give it much stock. Maybe there's a good horse in that race, though. Typically, look at those one-turn miles and say they're not really anything that could be predictive as far as the Kentucky Derby is concerned. But I will say, I thought Morello was really, really good in the Gotham, and he has done nothing wrong in three lifetime starts. He's got the connections with Steve Asmussen, the pedigree. Maybe slightly sprinty-ish on the bottom at face value, but you know, by classic empire, so no reason to think he shouldn't continue on. I like the progression that you've seen, 72 to an 84 to a 96 buyer in the Gotham. He's won by at least four lengths in all three starts. He's done it from a beautiful stalking or pressing position in all three races. He's gone from six furlongs to seven furlongs to a mile. Now you stretch him out, you assume it's going to be the two-turn Wood Memorial at a mile and an eighth. I don't know, there's a lot to like here about this horse. From a Timeform US standpoint, here in a 114, so maybe not quite a 96, but I mean, we're splitting hairs at that point to be a 94. I, you know, I, I typically go into these races and say I'm not going to put really any stock into them because it's an apples to oranges comparison, a one-turn mile versus two turns trying to stretch out. And that still does sort of, there's really, put it this way, that still applies. But what this horse has done in all three of his starts and for him to win as easily as he did in this spot with a very, very ideal sort of trip. That needs to be stated as well. He wasn't the sharpest out of the gate. But I think what you've seen through three starts would suggest this is a very good horse, and I don't see any reason why he can't stretch out. So while I don't know what ran behind him, if anything, doesn't look like there was a great deal of talent in this race, don't know how many of them are going to actually be true graded stakes type of runners. This horse, I think, is genuinely, not just because he's already won a graded stake, but I think he could be very good. Morello, 96 buyer in the Gotham, 114 time form US rating from a prep standpoint. I don't love anything that ran behind him, but I can still say this is an intriguing horse. I'm going to give it a seven right now. And look, if he's the third choice, in a race like the Wood Memorial, let's assume you're going to get early voting back. Maybe you get somebody else that ships up from whether it's Florida or Arkansas or, or Louisiana or one of those. They go to New York. Maybe they're the second choice. If not, it's probably this horse. But 
I think he's a viable alternative if you're thinking somewhere in that five to two, three to one range. Why not? He's fast. He has tactical speed. He's in the right hands. I don't know. Seems like there's an awful lot to like about Morello, no? Let me know what your thoughts are about Morello's Gotham or the other two preps, Forbidden Kingdom in the San Felipe or Simplification in the Fountain of Youth beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Now, let's wrap up things with a quick look ahead. Again, those of you that don't care about golf, feel free to cut loose right now. Those of you that are curious, maybe looking for a play, a bomb for the players this week, stick around. The players, TPC Sawgrass, the, call it the fifth major, if you will. I know technically it's not, but might as well be. Best field that you're going to see all year, top to bottom. The weather looks like it's going to be a major factor. Thursday and Friday, you've got a chance of thunderstorm. Saturday, it looks like it's going to be blowing sideways. And then Sunday looks really, really cold, especially for Florida standards. It's going to be low 50s. Run through the numbers into my model. And there are the the usual names, the usual suspects you would expect toward the top. Um, from a win percentage standpoint, I've got Victor Hovland at 3%. I've got McElroy at 3%. Will Zalatoris at 3%. Uh, never trust Zalatoris with a putter, but it is what it is. John Rahm at 3%. Xander Shoffley at 2%. But that doesn't really get me going when you're looking at some of the prices. You see 13 to 1, 14 to 1. The field is too deep. There are too many good players for me to just settle on a shorter number like that. Webb Simpson's up there, but he's been out for a while. Got Webb at 3% as well. Adam Scott was the first one that I really wanted to get stuck into. He's actually the highest win percentage based on my numbers, at 5%. The problem is, I think he may end up getting screwed based on the draw. Now, it could change a lot. I'm recording this on Tuesday afternoon. He's supposed to tee off on, on Thursday morning. And again, the weather could change five times between now and then. I, from what I've seen, it looks like the early late draw is going to be the tougher go. Now, that is also assuming that you're going to get everyone in in time and there won't be any delays because of thunderstorms or anything like that. Assuming it goes off when everything is supposed to go off. To me, the early late draw doesn't look great for Thursday, Friday. I would rather be looking into the late early draw. So someone who is teeing off in the afternoon on Thursday, I just want to confirm that I got my number right Bets are already in, just for absolute sort of accurate information. 12-23, teeing off from number one, playing with Ryan Brem and Jason Day. Kevin Kisner is where I ended up going. Now, Kevin Kisner is a player who is by no means the longest. Typically, Sawgrass isn't a course that's going to reward length. It's much more about accuracy. I suppose the concern is that it is so wet that somebody like Kisner, who's already short as far as PGA Tour standards are concerned, is going to be even at a greater disadvantage from a length standpoint. But I'm hopeful that it's more a matter of keep it in the spots that you need to keep it in. Know that the wind is going to blow. And look, he's always been a great putter. If he can get the putter going, he's played well at Sawgrass in the past. He's finished second many, many moons ago. But I mean, he typically has played well on Pete Dye courses. And as far as my numbers are concerned, he is, I have him 13th highest, which I know sounds crazy, I'm sure, to some. 
That's a 2% win rate, 9% for top 5, 14% for top 10, 26% for top 20, and 58% to make the cut. I have plays on him already at, let's see, what did we get him at? I believe 200 to 1, along with top 20 at 6 to 1, first round lead at 130 to 1, and first round top 5 at standby, efforting, efforting, still efforting. Again, I mean, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be this podcast without a little bit of stalling trying to get something pulled up on the computer, right? Where are we? It's incredible that I'm just struggling as badly as I am to find everything. All right. One last time to confirm everything. I do like Adam Scott. Again, I think he's probably going to be in trouble as far as the draw is concerned. That's assuming it ends up being early, late, not what you want. Kisner is going to be going off at 1223 in the afternoon on Thursday. We've got him at 130 to 1 to be the first round leader. Got him at 200 to 1 to win outright. Got him 25 to 1 to be in the top five after round one. And got him at 6 to 1 to be in the top 20 when all is said and done. Maybe it's one of those weeks that is he going to identify the best player? Raw talent? Maybe not. Maybe it will. I mean, it's a difficult golf course, and typically the cream rises to the top. But with the conditions, and I said it at the top, it, I think it's going to be vastly different than last week was. At Bay Hill, it was firm, and the wind was blowing sideways. Nobody could hold anything. The greens were all baked out. This is going to be a much softer course, you would think, with the forecast. And, you know, usually, at least in recent memory, it's been very, very green. He's played well here before. He's played well on die courses in the past. I'm not giving you somebody who is a likely winner. I mean, there's a reason he's 200 to 1. But Kevin Kisner, maybe he's one that, maybe this can be sort of his, he's already won a match play. Uh, this would certainly be at the top of the list if you were able to pull it off. But given the prices, given the probability based on my model, Kisner is the play for me. Won't be surprised at all if you see some some of the big names play well. Uh, I mean, Rom, as bad as his putting has been this year, He's still far and away the best player in the world. Um, Shoffley, I was initially interested in, but he's another one from a draw standpoint. I don't know how it'll work. And I I get the impression he may be kind of the opposite of Kisner from a die standpoint. It feels like he hasn't really done tremendously well. I know he did finish top five in the players four or five years ago, but I some of his other performances on die courses haven't been particularly strong. Um Victor Hovland, I think, is is another live one. But again, he I think he's early on. He's got an early draw. And maybe I'm putting too much stock into that, especially if things do change and it doesn't end up being the big deal. But yeah, that, I mean, that that 7.51 tee time off of 10, Hovland, Cantlay, Rom. I mean, you might be in the midst of some of the heaviest rain. Who knows? We'll find out. Again, things could change dramatically. But my play, if you're looking for a bomb, Kevin Kisner to win the players. And with that, we'll wrap up episode 106 of the show. Let me know what you think about the players, any of the derby preps we talked about. We'll come back next. We talk about the Oaks preps that we have missed from this week. And then also go over, I believe, the Tampa Bay Derby is coming up on Saturday. So many things going on. Questions, comments, concerns beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. And until next Monday, best of luck, however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. 
It's been episode 106 of the Matt Bernier Show. <laughs> <laughs>